Okay, good evening everyone. We're broadcasting live from from Hamilton, Ontario and Connecticut uh, on September 8th, 2015. So um, this is where I'm staying. You'll notice the colorful background. It's not by design. It's by someone else's design. So I moved in here and embarking on several different projects all at once. So we've got this new Buddhism Association at McMaster and tomorrow we'll have the this club fest where all the clubs come out and promote their clubs. So I'll be there for four hours. I started classes, so I'm now a university student again. That's interesting. Um, I mean, I guess just simply without any of the other ideas, it's, it is something to get a bachelor degree. And the things I'm learning, actually, I'm interested in. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's kind of a side learning project, but it's interesting to learn some of these things. We'll be learning Latin. Uh, philosophy, linguistics, peace studies, and religion. Uh, so we're set in a new place. We have a new schedule. Uh, we're going to try to do 7 to 9. And at some point I'll try to include 6.30, but I'm not sure how that's going to work. So at 6.30 we could do evening chanting, which would probably include some recitation right? somebody was meant ryan i think was mentioning that he'd be interested in having an online sutta study you know chanting the pali and then discussing the sutta so we could do that at six or six thirty maybe six thirty then at seven seven to eight will be the time for people to come and if they want to talk to me or learn meditation, so this would be for locals interested in learning about meditation. Um, and then at 8, by 8 o'clock, I'll start meditating, do an hour with whoever's here. And then at 9, we have this. So... That's the schedule. Sundays we have our Visuddhimagga study and Pali study. Wednesdays, not tomorrow, but probably starting next week, I'll try to get back into the Dhammapada videos. So next Wednesday, because Wednesday is a fairly free day, and it's just a good one. Fridays, we're trying to do this Surimangalo International Presents. So we've got a couple of leads, but maybe not for this Friday. One lead is Bodhidhamma, this monk from Satipanya in the UK. And he's actually replied to us. Someone forwarded me his reply, but 9 p.m. is not a good time for him. It's not even useful for him, really, because um, he's, he's looking to broadcast to 
you know, he'd only be involved in anything if it was useful to help people in Europe uh, know about him. And so if it was at 9 p.m., people in Europe would have a hard time tuning in. So I'd like to tell him that it's not just a live broadcast. Uh, most of our viewers, most of our views come later from people who are watching the videos on YouTube because it's recorded. But um, still, it, you know, there's a, certainly the point of people asking him questions. We'd um, want to allow Europeans to ask him questions. So, And we've got a lot of people following from Europe. So uh, maybe we can talk about what's a good time. Bante? I had actually um, just replied to the person who uh, was in contact with him with mm -hmm. that exact same message that most of the videos are watched after the broadcast. Um, you know, so it might be more useful to him than he's imagining. But maybe we could ask for questions, like, you know, even a week ahead of time, ask for questions, people to submit them. I think we should change the time as well. He, he, he okay. 1, 1 a.m. his time, he said, is not very convenient, and I don't want to inconvenience him. I think we just okay. change the time for that one program. We do a special program. We accommodate him. So maybe 6 p.m. is better for him while still giving us a, an audience here. But we could even do it earlier. Find a time. So, okay, so can you contact and confirm that we don't need to do it at 9 p.m.? Sure. I will update the email. Sure. Suggest, suggest 6 p.m. or even earlier. You know. Sure. I will let her know, certainly. So today we have a quote. Seems like forever since we did this. Wasn't it just Sunday that we did this? Yes, that was, was just two days ago. Okay, you want to read us off the quote, Robin? Yes, yes, please. The fool thinks he has won a battle when he bullies with harsh speech, but it is knowing how to be forbearing that makes one victorious. The worst of the two is one who retaliates when abused. One who does not retaliate wins a battle hard to win. Knowing that the other person is angry, one who remains mindful and calm acts in their own best interest and in the interest of the other two. He is a healer of both himself and the other person also. But those who do not understand the Dhamma think he is a fool. My teacher gave us this quote. He brought this, just this part of it. It is a worse evil of the two. The one who responds harshly. It's worse than the first person. Kudang aparti kujanto sangamang jayang. Because the person who responds with anger that's not what that says, but 
The point is the person who responds with anger starts the argument. It's an interesting quote because we would think that the person who started it, it's always he started it, she started it. We think that's the important point. Buddha says no. Because the person who, because anyone can get angry. Anyone can get angry. But it's the retaliation that creates the creates the argument. So if, if we all when if we allowed each other to slip and get angry, then we would never have any problems. But it's when we respond angrily to anger. That's when the argument arises, that's when conflict arises. Conflict isn't isn't one sided. And if we're able, this is the, the important point is how powerful it is, how important in this world it is to not retaliate with anger towards the person who's angry. We don't know this. And because we don't know this, we think Jayang we manyati balo. We think it's a victory when we uh, win an argument, when we win in the conflict, when our harsh speech is beats someone down. When we when we able when we able to uh, attack someone <coughs> with heart with harsh speech. <laughs> this is a story, it comes from a story of when the Buddha was dwelling in Rajgaha in Weluana, the bamboo grove, the squirrel sanctuary. And then Asurindaka Bharadvaja. The Bharadvajas were a nasty family. They had lots of they were they were they were um, known for I don't know if they were known, but we know them for their harsh speech, their anger. And so Asurinda, Asurindaka Bharadvaja comes to the Buddha. And he, he thinks to himself, I've heard that a Brahmin from the Bharadvaja clan has gone forth to homelessness, from the home life into homelessness under the tutelage of Samana Gotama. So he was angry <coughs> because one of the Bharadvajas became a monk. I think that's what it's saying. And so he goes to see the Buddha and he attacks the Buddha with mean words, 
insulted the Buddha with her speech. Paribhasati, he spoke against him, abused him. Thus being spoken to, Evangute, the Bhagavatunni Ahosi was silent. So the Buddha didn't reply. That's what the lead into this is. And then uh, a Surindaka Bharadwaja Brahmana said this to the Brahman, to the Buddha, to the Blessed One. Jidosi Samana, Jidosi Samana. We have to write this down for our Pali conversation class. This is a good one. I beat you. I'm victorious over you. No, wait. Jito Asi. You are defeated. Right? Asi, yes. Jidosi. You are defeated. You are you are one who has been who who someone else has been victorious over, I think literally, but whatever. You've been defeated, Samana. You are defeated, Samana. Yes. I am victorious over you. You have been conquered. That's that's probably the most literal literal of it. You have been conquered, Samana. Samana means recluse, shaman. You have been conquered, recluse. Then the Buddha replies, the fool thinks they have conquered. So that's where the, the, the lead into the quote. It's the same word, jaya and jita. Jita means conquered. Jaya means uh, means conquered in a different way. Have, like I have conquered, and jita means you are conquered. Means some something that is has been conquered. The fool thinks they have conquered when they speak harsh speech. Jayan chevasa tanghuti yaditiko vijanato. But it's a greater. Let's see. But it it is jayan. But he who is victorious, who yeah, who knowing, who who wisely forbears, right? Who is knowing how to be forbearing, right? Something like that. Knowing how to who who knows, yeah. One who knows how to forbear. Anyway, let's not get into the grammar too much. The point was, the lead into this story, it's actually a guy comes up to the Buddha and thinks he's defeated him. Because it was a big deal, you know. The Buddha was was undefeated in debate. And so people were trying all these different ways to defeat him in debate. Argument, trick questions, <clears throat> I guess these guys, their tactic was just to come up and abuse him and revile him and insult him. And so when the Buddha didn't say anything, he thought he had him. He must have been fairly intimidating and so just blew right through it, yelling, scolding. 
And then the Buddha was silent and he said to the Buddha, I've conquered you. There you go. You see? I figured out a way to beat you. And then the Buddha lets him have it with both barrels. And this is an awesome verse, right? This is something that you could put on the wall. Speaking of wall hangings in generally, in general, downstairs, if we had like wall hangings, if anybody wants to send us a wall hanging, we'll put it up on the wall. So if you want to be looking to do something neat, send us a wall hanging, a Buddhist wall hanging, not just any wall hanging, but like a Buddhist poster or a Buddhist saying or something. Not urgent, but it's nice to have quotes. Theravada quotes would be preferred. I don't really want Dal I don't really want Dalai Lama quotes or Thich Nhat Hanh quotes or Buddha quotes. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, this is the power. The power here is of how you totally. It's a it's a decisive victory to not react. You change the whole course of the of your your fate. You know, you change the course of 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 your life, both of your lives. You heal what was potentially a life changing situation that would create you an enemy. You know what it is when you create an enemy, and that's all it takes is that moment when you react. This kind of thinking is useful. It's not a substitute of, for meditation, but you, know, you can see how useful it is to have these reminders and say, yeah, that's right. It makes us confident in our, our practice. It makes us confident to be vigilant. Yes, there's a reason why I'm practicing meditation. This is very important. It's very easy to just fly off the handle and respond in anger. And then the burden is on you. You've started something. You can't stop people from getting angry. Most of us, we get angry. You know, it happens. And someone gets angry. That's when the problem, that's when the decision has to be made. And that's when you have to, the work has to be done. Well, the best is not to get angry at all, but it's very hard to stop. And it's somewhat innocent, you know? I mean, it's not innocent, but it's just anger. Everyone kind of gets ang angry, blowing off steam or whatever. But when, so when you react to it, it's like you didn't, didn't yeah, allow that person to be human, you know? It's like you, you, uh, you're intolerant. We shouldn't accept anger is bad. It's always wrong, but um, your inability to accept it's also hypocritical because you get angry back, right? How dare you get angry at me? This monk I was at a monastery and I was being kicked out of the monastery. Story of my life, and uh, the head monk called me into his room and he said, "What kind of a what kind of a meditation teacher are you?" A meditation teacher should have metta, and he was really, he was red in the face, and he was angry. I thought it was a rather poor lecturing, you know. 
How can you how can you lecture someone on on having made that when you're red in the face? But I didn't say that. I, I left the monastery. Brooklyn, you know, you don't have to paste the quote into the chat. It's up at the top. And if it's not, it's in the app. Does anyone have any questions? I have a question that someone who wishes to remain anonymous asked me to ask on their behalf. Is it Andy? It's not Andy. No. I shouldn't ask because you should no. not supposed to tell me. That's right. But no, is, he, he is Andy there in the room with you? No, he's upstairs. Oh, okay. No, he wants to watch TV, and uh, that's too loud for the background. <laughs> so he has to go upstairs. No, this is, this is actually kind of a serious question. A person's having some problems online. Uh, a couple of people are bothering them. Um, feels like they're stalking this person, and they're even impersonating the person, pretending to be them on different websites. Um, and they were wondering how you would address such a thing, you know, from a Buddhist point of view, should you just ignore them and keep on with your life or get involved? Um, because it's very difficult to determine who it is that's doing this. So it could be very, uh, you know, involved, time consuming to try to straighten it out. Um, so they're not sure whether it matters, whether they should just ignore it or, um, you know, try to pursue it. Well, I mean, if you're a public, if if it was to happen to me, I think that would be, I'd find that concerning because uh, people know who I am and if someone were to impersonate me, you know, I mean, because you're asking about what would I do, but just as a personal, you know, if, if it was just a personal thing, if, if this isn't a person who is in the public sphere, then... It's not that big of a deal. I mean, the question you have to ask is how big of a deal is it? If it's um, causing you problems in, in your life, I mean, sure, if, there is, if, for example, someone goes to your friends and starts saying things on your behalf, then uh, maybe you should try try to some extent to make it clear that someone's posting things on your behalf and not to listen to them. I mean, we can't. You can't stop people from from doing bad things. I mean, someone could take a knife to you. Bad things can happen to us. It's not entirely under our control. So it's something we have to acknowledge that this world is filled with mean and nasty. You know, it's the potential for great nastiness and, and evil. This could happen to any of us, any of us. I mean, so the first advice that someone should give in this. For as as an example here, or or for this example, but for any such problem, is to be very mindful and to not neglect your practice of mindfulness because bad things can happen to you. People can ruin your life. Events and circumstances do ruin people's lives daily. But I've said, as I said recently, um, you're, you're well within your right. And in fact, there's a sense of responsibility to set the record straight. If people misunderstand you, 
you have somewhat of a responsibility to set the record straight. Now, you should never obsess over anything. So you draw a line somewhere where this is responsibility. It's my duty to set the record straight. But beyond that, no. I mean, that's in regards to people stealing your identity. In regards to people stalking you, I mean, unless they're knocking on your windows at night or, or you know, peeking in your windows at night, um, it's it's not that big of a deal. It's something that you should try to let go of as best you can. But if it gets to the point where they are um, finding out private things about you, finding out your private information or spying on you, taking photos of you when you're in your bedroom or I don't know, like crazy things like that. It's a little bit more difficult. Like, like, should a Buddhist get a restraining order on a stalker, for example? If suppose the stalker starts threatening them or carrying out threats or whatever. I think you're well within your rights. There's no question that as a layperson, you have a right to um, get a restraining order on someone. It's probably not an alt, not the way an arahant would deal with the situation, but then you're probably not an arahant. So to some extent, you have to protect yourself while you're trying to become an arahant. To some extent. Again, there's a line where how far do you want to go? And you should never go all out like at any cost get the guy get the perp at any cost certainly that's not buddhist and that's where i think that's where the big problem comes when people become obsessed over these things you should never let it come to that you should do your do your do your best remain calm and if in the end it's it's not enough then you sometimes have to accept the inevitable But it's very much uh, tailored to your situation. You have to use mindfulness to find what seems to be the best way. It's hard to answer these sorts of questions when they're very complicated and there's lots of factors. And you know, your mental state, your your perception might be twisting. The person might not be stalking you. I mean, not saying in your case, but there's so many variables that to talk about general. This is why when a lot of these questions about what should I do in this instance what kind of an answer can you give without being that person living their life and knowing exactly the situation but i think a good general advice is never obsess but don't be afraid to do something thank you bante um brenna is just wondering what kind of guests you want on friday nights I know you talked about it, but maybe just for people that missed the uh, the last time. Um, I'd like people who are either in our tradition or are just interesting people and Buddhist Buddhist people in general. Um, I wouldn't want someone to come on and talk about a different meditation tradition. I think I'm not interested in that. So it would either be someone who talks about general Buddhism or someone who teaches in our tradition. So like if someone's doing engaged Buddhism, you know, some interesting project, maybe they're studying 
you know, study project. But, but best would be people who are teaching meditation in our tradition. Or maybe some Mahayana Buddhists who we think teach similar meditation. Like I said, Pema Chodron would be nice to have on here. But like I'm not keen on having Buddhists from other meditative traditions. Like maybe if we had someone on to talk about the Vinaya, some Vinaya expert. Maybe, um, you know, there's the whole MBSR movement, or it could be someone um, like San, no, what's his name? The guy who's doing this AWARE study. Do you guys know anything about the AWARE study? What's his name? Funny thing is they did this big study and it proved nothing. It's kind of depressing. Parnia, Sam Parnia. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could get him on? So it could be like secular people who are of interest to us. Like I said, this uh, Canadian guy who wrote the book Memoirs of a Memoirs of an Addicted Brain or something like that to talk to us about addiction. When is it advisable to switch from stepping right, stepping left to lifting, moving, placing? And also when can we move on to rising, falling, sitting, rising, falling, sitting? Yeah, I mean, in a course we'd take you through those. But if you're doing it on your own, once you feel like your concentration is stronger and you're able to handle, it's like juggling, you know? When you can juggle two balls, then you try juggling three balls. So for sure, rising, falling, sitting is a pretty standard meditation exercise. It's good for daily use. Um, lifting, moving, placing as well is. But you want to go through the first stages. If Yeah, they're more for, for newcomers. If you've been meditating for a while, you can go up to lifting, placing, lifting, moving, placing. Lifting, moving, placing is a good daily technique. Do you think it's a good idea to do walking and sitting meditation while sick? Yeah, if you can, for sure. Sometimes, um, depends on the sickness. They do recommend not putting out too much exertion when you're sick. It can actually make it worse. 
But the Buddha said sickness can be overcome by walking meditation. Bhante, how do you recommend to cultivate energy for studying? I often get frustrated by thinking mm -hmm. of the things I must do are very complicated and feel not capable of doing them. And this leads me to get tired easily. Well, that's where you start. The frustration is making you tired. So you work on that frustration. I mean, it's really two questions. Cultivating energy for studying. It's not so much cultivating energy. It's like um, reserving energy because you're draining yourself. You have the energy originally, but you lose it because you're worrying and stressing, frustrated. I mean, I know I've, I've, got, I've got all these blocks now that I have to fit into schedules, you know, like I've got so many hours in a day and there's only 24 hours in a day. So everything has to fit in, in some blocks and there may be too many blocks. But if there's too many blocks, there's too many blocks and you have to, you, you have no choice, you have no recourse in that case. I mean, well, I guess one recourse is to cram them in and, and ruin it all and everything gets a little bit ruined. But I wouldn't. I would wouldn't do that. For me personally, I would structure my life. You know, if there's too many blocks, take some blocks away. Stop doing certain things. And once you do that, then it allows you to be mindful. No matter how much you're doing, as long as the blocks fit the pay, fit the holes, fit the slots, uh, you can do it objectively without any frustration or worry. Plodding along, plodding along. Sometimes we stress um, even when the blocks fit. And that's where we go wrong. Once the blocks fit, you know, everything has enough, you have enough time to do everything. You should, there should be no need to stress. You have to train yourself in that. Plod along, plod along. And uh, be mindful enough that you can see the results. I've, I've done this before. I've taken, I was in university before I ordained and then a little bit after I ordained, but mostly before I ordained as a meditator. I took Sanskrit, for example, and I was doing, you know, there were quizzes every couple of days. Now with Latin, there's going to be lots of quizzes, a quiz every week. And so I'm going to be on the bus or wherever. Well, my bus isn't so long, but I'm going to be sitting here doing quiz after quiz, you know, quizzing myself again and again. And it'll just be you know, the routine, taking the time. I think the problem is we try to do too much. Sometimes we have no choice, you know, trying to work a job, look after kids, study as well, meditate as well. Sometimes you do too much. I think once you have kids, it probably probably is always too much. I don't know. suggestion to use a larger font because the print on the quote is microscopic everyone's a critic <laughs> I will admit I do uh, control and mouse scroll to make it a little bigger but that works Brooklyn control mouse scroll it makes it a lot bigger um, 
Fun too. Thing we can't fix. Oh, what's going on? Bhante, when I do Anapanasati meditation, thoughts sometimes arise and cease before I can note them arising and ceasing. What to do? Thank you. I mean, it's almost the same size as the other text. Oh, no, it's not. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's bigger now. Sorry, question again. Oh, thank you. Um, person has thoughts that sometimes arise and cease before they can note them arising and ceasing during Anapanasati meditation. Well, we don't practice Anapanasati here, unless you're talking about watching the rising and the falling. What you're talking about, I think that's what you're talking about, right? Noting. Um, just in general, you, you, your point. The point is not to catch them. The point is to see that you catch the beginning or you see the ending. The point point is to see that they arise and they cease, which you're seeing. You're not always going to catch the beginning and the ending. There is a stage, one of the stages of knowledge, wherein you tend to uh, feel like your meditation is not progressing or is regressing because you're only catching the end of the tail end you're not able to catch them in time but what that is is the mind focusing on the cessation the mind is only uh, interested in the cessation it's no longer you know it's seen things arising and ceasing and it gets bored of that and it starts to focus on this concept that think that everything ceases because that's a new concept and that's the important one. The idea that everything ceases becomes um, crucial in understanding impermanent suffering and non-self. So that, that comes as a result. Of, the fact that you can see that is actually a good sign. It's a sign that you are seeing quite clearly. You're, you're seeing quite detailed. What do you think about meditation strictly for a goal, like being able to concentrate more? I've heard that if you try to meditate with a goal in mind, it won't work. I can see that because there's greed, there's desire in the mind. And with desire, it, yeah, it, it defeats the purpose. Bhante, there are things such as torture that happen in the world, and I cannot understand how they can change without reaction. Well, they may not change. Is that the question, or is there more? I believe that's it. They may not change. You're not going to fix the world. No one has been successful yet. But Buddhism has certainly changed the world uh, in a good way. So... 
regardless of what you think, good things have come of Buddhist practice. It's made the world a better place. Fewer people are torturing other people because of Buddhism. But if you think reacting violently to violence creates less violence, I'm afraid we disagree. But that's okay. It's a big world. We're free to disagree. Like someone hollering at you that you need to practice metta. Uh -huh. I think the only problem with such a guideline towards metta is that it defines non-retaliation in black and white terms. Okay, I think that was a comment, not a question. Do you have any tips for being in the now moment, but my mind constantly drifting and being with the thoughts? Practice, practice, practice. In practice. When starting out with Buddhism, there is a certain amount of faith required that is the true path. So one practice practices diligently. If there are enlightened masters in the world with magic powers, shouldn't they demonstrate their abilities so people who are unsure will see they're telling the truth and become inspired to stay on the path? Except that that inspires charlatans to pretend to have magic, magical powers. And it inspires unenlightened people who have magical powers to use their magical powers. To pretend that they're enlightened. Because magical powers are not uh, necessarily indicative of enlightenment. And because they don't really have this desire to help people. If people want to be helped, they'll come to them. You know, sure, we could have millions and millions of followers. You know, what would that do to a what would that say of an enlightened being that you become enlightened only to be surrounded and deluged by by people whining and complaining all day? <laughs> That's not very compassionate, I know, but I guess my only point there is that why would someone desire such a thing? Why would you want to have lots of students? We have this desire because we love to see people benefit. We have this its kind of an attachment to the happiness that we get out of helping others. And our hand doesn't have that. They don't have this. They just see it as another activity. And there's all the effort and arguing that goes on beforehand where you have to debate the person uh, argue even the buddha even the buddha in the end realized he couldn't help everyone and he really only taught for those beings i think not any of us really but he taught for those beings who could understand quickly the rest of us are just eating up picking up the scraps I mean, not exactly. You teach the people who can learn quickly, and they turn around and teach the people who are not so quick. So. Okay, what I thought was a comment was actually a question with the other a little farther down. Um, I think the only problem with such a guideline towards meta is that it defines non-retaliation in black and white terms. 
Furthermore, are there times when retaliation in terms of speech is compassionate or equanimous? Yeah, absolutely. It's not really retaliation. It's response and it's wise and mindful response. Defending yourself, responding to accusations, correcting mistakes, correcting misunderstandings. But it's very gentle. It's generally not an attack on the other person. It's not a criticism of them. It's generally very gentle and um, wishing for the, the well-being of the other person. I've had the experience of my body falling asleep while meditating while my mind is awake. It was quite a different experience and was wondering if you've ever heard of such a thing or experienced it before. It's called uh, sleep paralysis, I think that's what they call it. We'd call it like astral travel, or the beginning of astral travel. I'm a student and I feel the need to relax every day since otherwise I feel too tired and drained of energy to study the next day. Do you think insight meditation will help relax and recharge to the same extent as other relaxing activities such as exercise? Yeah, and it also, it, it does more than that because it, um, it organizes your mental activity and weeds out all this garbage that you've been collecting. So not only does it re-energize you as an activity, but it also reduces the amount of stress that reduces the need to relax. You find you need to relax less. A lot of our relaxation is because of our anger and stress and, and desire that comes constantly bombarded by you, know, you go into the food court and there's all this food in the university. You're surrounded by people wearing all sorts of different clothes. I was standing, waiting this, uh, at around this morning, um, with this big, the big Robin's three, three panel display under one arm, Subway sandwich in my other, in a bag. Standing there in the middle of the student center where all the people are one, and there was, I was standing right beside, uh, ironically, um, this travel agency that does specializes in Southeast Asian tours. So I said, Have you guys ever been to Southeast Asia? And it turned out they had, they've been to Thailand a few times. Um, but just bombarded by all this. And then times, scheduling, being late for everything, constantly reacting. So this eats, eats into your energy. Um, so, but yeah, you only have, regardless, you only have so much energy anyway. But all of that makes it a lot, a lot worse. And so by, by freeing up the energy taken from, uh, from, from our emotions, then it doesn't mean you, use, you expend no energy, but you expend far less.
and you're quick to recover. It's much more physical energy that you expend, not mental, so much. Speaking of astral, astral travel, have you had similar experiences in your life? When I was 13, hasn't everyone heard this story yet? Keep telling this story when I was 13. And uh, long story short, I, I mean, I did, it, it took some time of training. I trained myself, but I eventually was able to uh, my, feel like my body was swinging and then actually swing so strongly that I was able to uh, leave my body out of the top of my head. And I went down, I floated downstairs and saw my brother pour a bowl of cereal and then turn and the bowl smashed, dropped and smashed on the floor. And then I came back into my body and I kind of woke up and I walked downstairs and for real and saw him do it exactly as I had seen it. It's like precognition. So I actually walked downstairs and actually saw him smash the bowl on the floor. That was kind of interesting. Not only astral travel, but precognition as well. I think we're all caught up on questions. All right, 50 minutes. Let's cut it off there. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you, Robin, for joining me. Thank you, Bhante. We'll see you all tomorrow. Take care. We'll see you tomorrow. Good night.